Section ninety one of the Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Book twelve, chapter twelve. And there was no murder either. Allow me, gentlemen of the jury, to remind you that a man's life is at stake, and that you must be careful. We have heard the prosecutor himself admit that until today he hesitated to accuse the prisoner of a full and conscious premeditation of the crime. He hesitated till he saw that fatal drunken letter which was produced in court today. All was done as written. But I repeat again, he was running to her to seek her solely to find out where she was that's a fact that can't be disputed had she been at home he would not have run away but would have remained at her side and so would not have done what he promised in the letter he ran unexpectedly and accidentally and by that time very likely he did not even remember his drunken letter he snatched up the pestle they say and you will remember how a whole edifice of psychology was built on that pestle why he was bound to look at that pestle as a weapon to snatch it up and so on and so on a very commonplace idea occurs to me at this point what if that pestle had not been in sight had not been lying on the shelf from which it was snatched by the prisoner but had been put away in a cupboard it would not have caught the prisoner's eye and he would have run away without a weapon with empty hands and then he would certainly not have killed any one how then can i look upon the pestle as a proof of premeditation yes but he talked in the taverns of murdering his father and two days before on the evening when he wrote his drunken letter he was quiet and only quarrelled with a shopman in the tavern because a karamazov could not help quarrelling forsooth but my answer to that is that if he was planning such a murder in accordance with his letter he certainly would not have quarrelled even with a shopman and probably would not have gone into the tavern at all because a person plotting such a crime seeks quiet and retirement seeks to efface himself to avoid being seen and heard and that not from calculation but from instinct gentlemen of the jury the psychological method is a two-edged weapon and we too can use it as for all this shouting in taverns throughout the month don't we often hear children or drunkards coming out of taverns shout i'll kill you but they don't murder anyone and that fatal letter isn't that simply drunken irritability too isn't that simply the shout of the brawler outside the tavern i'll kill you i'll kill the lot of you why not why could it not be that what reason have we to call that letter fatal rather than absurd because his father has been found murdered because a witness saw the prisoner running out of the garden with a weapon in his hand and was knocked down by him therefore we are told everything was done as he had planned in writing and the letter was not absurd but fatal now thank god we've come to the real point since he was in the garden he must have murdered him in those few words since he was then he must 
lies the whole case for the prosecution he was there so he must have and what if there is no must about it even if he was there oh i admit that the chain of evidence the coincidences are really suggestive but examine all these facts separately regardless of their connection why for instance does the prosecution refuse to admit the truth of the prisoner's statement that he ran away from his father's window remember the sarcasms in which the prosecutor indulged at the expense of the respectful and pious sentiments which suddenly came over the murderer but what if there were something of the sort a feeling of religious awe if not of filial respect my mother must have been praying for me at that moment were the prisoner's words at the preliminary inquiry and so he ran away as soon as he convinced himself that madame svetlov was not in his father's house but he could not convince himself by looking through the window the prosecutor objects but why couldn't he why the window opened at the signals given by the prisoner some word might have been uttered by fyodor pavlovitch some exclamation which showed the prisoner that she was not there why should we assume everything as we imagine it as we make up our minds to imagine it a thousand things may happen in reality which elude the subtlest imagination yes but grigory saw the door open and so the prisoner certainly was in the house therefore he killed him now about that door gentlemen of the jury observe that we have only the statement of one witness as to that door and he was at the time in such a condition that but supposing the door was open supposing the prisoner has lied in denying it from an instinct of self-defence natural in his position supposing he did go into the house well what then how does it follow that because he was there he committed the murder he might have dashed in run through the rooms might have pushed his father away might have struck him but as soon as he had made sure madame svetlov was not there he may have run away rejoicing that she was not there and that he had not killed his father and it was perhaps just because he had escaped from the temptation to kill his father because he had a clear conscience and was rejoicing at not having killed him that he was capable of a pure feeling the feeling of pity and compassion and leapt off the fence a minute later to the assistance of grigory after he had in his excitement knocked him down with terrible eloquence the prosecutor has described to us the dreadful state of the prisoner's mind at Macro when love again lay before him calling him to new life while love was impossible for him because he had his father's blood-stained corpse behind him and beyond that corpse retribution and yet the prosecutor allowed him love which he explained according to his method talking about his drunken condition about a criminal being taken to execution about it being still far off and so on and so on but again i ask mr prosecutor have you not invented a new personality 
is the prisoner so coarse and heartless as to be able to think at that moment of love and of dodges to escape punishment if his hands were really stained with his father's blood no 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 as soon as it was made plain to him that she loved him and called him to her side promising him new happiness oh then i protest he must have felt the impulse to suicide doubled trebled and must have killed himself if he had his father's murder on his conscience oh no he would not have forgotten where his pistols lay i know the prisoner the savage stony heartlessness ascribed to him by the prosecutor is inconsistent with his character he would have killed himself that's certain he did not kill himself just because his mother's prayers had saved him and he was innocent of his father's blood he was troubled he was grieving that night at Macro only about old grigory and praying to god that the old man would recover that his blow had not been fatal and that he would not have to suffer for it why not accept such an interpretation of the facts what trustworthy proof have we that the prisoner is lying but we shall be told at once again there is his father's corpse if he ran away without murdering him who did murder him here i repeat you have the whole logic of the prosecution who murdered him if not he there's no one to put in his place gentlemen of the jury is that really so is it positively actually true that there is no one else at all we've heard the prosecutor count on his fingers all the persons who were in that house that night they were five in number three of them i agree could not have been responsible the murdered man himself old grigory and his wife there are left then the prisoner and smerdyakov and the prosecutor dramatically exclaims that the prisoner pointed to smerdyakov because he had no one else to fix on that had there been a sixth person even a phantom of a sixth person he would have abandoned the charge against smerdyakov at once in shame and have accused that other but gentlemen of the jury why may i not draw the very opposite conclusion there are two persons the prisoner and smerdyakov why can i not say that you accuse my client simply because you have no one else to accuse and you have no one else only because you have determined to exclude smerdyakov from all suspicion it's true indeed smerdyakov is accused only by the prisoner his two brothers and madame svetlov but there are others who accuse him there are vague rumors of a question of a suspicion an obscure report a feeling of expectation finally we have the evidence of a combination of facts very suggestive though i admit inconclusive in the first place we have precisely on the day of the catastrophe that fit for the genuineness of which the prosecutor for some reason has felt obliged to make a careful defence then smerdyakov's sudden suicide on the eve of the trial then the equally startling evidence given in court to-day by the elder of the prisoner's brothers who had believed in his guilt but has to-day produced a bundle of notes and proclaimed smerdyakov as the murderer 
oh i fully share the courts and the prosecutor's conviction that ivan karamazov is suffering from brain fever that his statement may really be a desperate effort planned in delirium to save his brother by throwing the guilt on the dead man but again smerdyakov's name is pronounced again there is a suggestion of mystery there is something unexplained incomplete and perhaps it may one day be explained but we won't go into that now of that later the court has resolved to go on with the trial but meantime i might make a few remarks about the character sketch of smerdyakov drawn with subtlety and talent by the prosecutor but while i admire his talent i cannot agree with him i have visited smerdyakov i have seen him and talked to him and he made a very different impression on me he was weak in health it is true but in character in spirit he was by no means the weak man the prosecutor has made him out to be i found in him no trace of the timidity on which the prosecutor so insisted there was no simplicity about him either i found in him on the contrary an extreme mistrustfulness concealed under a mask of naivete and an intelligence of considerable range the prosecutor was too simple in taking him for weak-minded he made a very definite impression on me i left him with the conviction that he was a distinctly spiteful creature excessively ambitious vindictive and intensely envious i made some inquiries he resented his parentage was ashamed of it and would clench his teeth when he remembered that he was the son of stinking lizaveta he was disrespectful to the servant grigory and his wife who had cared for him in his childhood he cursed and jeered at russia he dreamed of going to france and becoming a frenchman he used often to say that he hadn't the means to do so i fancy he loved no one but himself and had a strangely high opinion of himself his conception of culture was limited to good clothes clean shirt-fronts and polished boots believing himself to be the illegitimate son of fyodor pavlovitch there is evidence of this he might well have resented his position compared with that of his master's legitimate sons they had everything he nothing they had all the rights they had the inheritance while he was only the cook he told me himself that he had helped fyodor pavlovitch to put the notes in the envelope the destination of that sum a sum which would have made his career must have been hateful to him moreover he saw three thousand roubles in new rainbow-coloured notes i asked him about that on purpose oh beware of showing an ambitious and envious man a large sum of money at once and it was the first time he had seen so much money in the hands of one man the sight of the rainbow-coloured notes may have made a morbid impression on his imagination but with no immediate results the talented prosecutor with extraordinary subtlety sketched for us all the arguments for and against the hypothesis of smerdyakov's guilt and asked us in particular what motive he had in feigning a fit but he may not have been feigning at all the fit may have happened quite naturally 
but it may have passed off quite naturally and the sick man may have recovered not completely perhaps but still regaining consciousness as happens with epileptics the prosecutor asks at what moment could smerdyakov have committed the murder but it is very easy to point out that moment he might have waked up from deep sleep for he was only asleep an epileptic fit is always followed by a deep sleep at that moment when the old grigory shouted at the top of his voice parricide that shout in the dark and stillness may have waked smerdyakov whose sleep may have been less sound at the moment he might naturally have waked up an hour before getting out of bed he goes almost unconsciously and with no definite motive towards the sound to see what's the matter his head is still clouded with his attack his faculties are half asleep but once in the garden he walks to the lighted windows and he hears terrible news from his master who would be of course glad to see him his mind sets to work at once he hears all the details from his frightened master and gradually in his disordered brain there shapes itself an idea terrible but seductive and irresistibly logical to kill the old man take the three thousand and throw all the blame on to his young master a terrible lust of money of booty might seize upon him as he realized his security from detection oh these sudden and irresistible impulses come so often when there is a favorable opportunity and especially with murderers who have had no idea of committing a murder beforehand and smerdyakov may have gone in and carried out his plan with what weapon why with any stone picked up in the garden but what for with what object why the three thousand which means a career for him oh i am not contradicting myself the money may have existed and perhaps smerdyakov alone knew where to find it where his master kept it and the covering of the money the torn envelope on the floor just now when the prosecutor was explaining his subtle theory that only an inexperienced thief like karamazov would have left the envelope on the floor and not one like smerdyakov who would have avoided leaving a piece of evidence against himself i thought as i listened that i was hearing something very familiar and would you believe it i have heard that very argument that very conjecture of how karamazov would have behaved precisely two days before from smerdyakov himself what's more it struck me at the time i fancied that there was an artificial simplicity about him that he was in a hurry to suggest this idea to me that i might fancy it was my own he insinuated it as it were did he not insinuate the same idea at the inquiry and suggest it to the talented prosecutor i shall be asked what about the old woman grigory's wife she heard the sick man moaning close by all night yes she heard it but that evidence is extremely unreliable i knew a lady who complained bitterly that she had been kept awake all night by a dog in the yard 
yet the poor beast it appeared had only yelped once or twice in the night and that's natural if any one is asleep and hears a groan he wakes up annoyed at being waked but instantly falls asleep again two hours later again a groan he wakes up and falls asleep again and the same thing again two hours later three times altogether in the night next morning the sleeper wakes up and complains that some one has been groaning all night and keeping him awake and it is bound to seem so to him the intervals of two hours of sleep he does not remember he only remembers the moments of waking so he feels he has been waked up all night but why why asks the prosecutor did not smerdyakov confess in his last letter why did his conscience prompt him to one step and not to both but excuse me conscience implies penitence and the suicide may not have felt penitence but only despair despair and penitence are two very different things despair may be vindictive and irreconcilable and the suicide laying his hands on himself may well have felt redoubled hatred for those whom he had envied all his life gentlemen of the jury beware of a miscarriage of justice what is there unlikely in all i have put before you just now find the error in my reasoning find the impossibility the absurdity and if there is but a shade of possibility but a shade of probability in my propositions do not condemn him and is there only a shade i swear by all that is sacred i fully believe in the explanation of the murder i have just put forward what troubles me and makes me indignant is that of all the mass of facts heaped up by the prosecution against the prisoner there is not a single one certain and irrefutable and yet the unhappy man is to be ruined by the accumulation of these facts yes the accumulated effect is awful the blood the blood dripping from his fingers the blood-stained shirt the dark night resounding with the shout parricide and the old man falling with a broken head and then the mass of phrases statements gestures shouts oh this has so much influence it can so bias the mind but gentlemen of the jury can it bias your minds remember you have been given absolute power to bind and to loose but the greater the power the more terrible its responsibility i do not draw back one iota from what i have said just now but suppose for one moment i agreed with the prosecution that my luckless client had stained his hands with his father's blood this is only hypothesis i repeat i never for one instant doubt of his innocence but so be it i assume that my client is guilty of parricide even so hear what i have to say i have it in my heart to say something more to you for i feel that there must be a great conflict in your hearts and minds forgive my referring to your hearts and minds gentlemen of the jury but i want to be truthful and sincere to the end let us all be sincere at this point the speech was interrupted by rather loud applause 
the last words indeed were pronounced with a note of such sincerity that every one felt that he really might have something to say and that what he was about to say would be of the greatest consequence but the president hearing the applause in a loud voice threatened to clear the court if such an incident were repeated every sound was hushed and fetchikovitch began in a voice full of feeling quite unlike the tone he had used hitherto End of section 91